All right, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 3. I mean, Genesis chapter 2. Let's start with the good news before we go to the bad news. Genesis chapter 2 this morning. We've uh, been in a series uh, calling Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and we are looking at uh, the eight core emotions that make up who we are as humans. And, and uh, every week... I'm trying to give you a reason for why we're doing this. Um, and I think I've had some really good conversations with people, and I want to continue to emphasize why we're doing this, help us get a right perspective on what is actually happening. And so why in a church, like Redemption Church here, that really seeks to be God-focused, Jesus-centered, and spirit-dependent, do we want to put attention on us? Does that make sense? Like, one of the things that we try to seek more and more is to make Jesus the center of everything that we talk about, think, do, feel, experience, and, and we want to make God be big, and in a sense, when God is big, man can be put into his right place. And so why do we want to keep talking about our emotions? Well, I want you to know this. It's not simply a self-help talk to help you feel better and have your best life now. Okay, uh, this is not simply a, uh, a, a series for you to have some tools on how to just navigate some things in your life and make your life better, nor is this a one-off. What I mean by that is this isn't just a separate category of what we do at Redemption Church, but it, it's another layer to what we call at Redemption Church gospel realization. Making the gospel become a reality in our life is how we overcome sin, and what we're looking at in this series is the gospel realization, when it becomes real to us, it helps us manage our emotions to see them as a beautiful gift that lead us to God and to others. It actually allows us to be in a right relationship with God that then allows us to actually be in a right relationship with others. And I'm going to say something maybe a little crazy, and hopefully you get a full context. But you ever heard the phrase, all you need is God? And isn't that right? But isn't that kind of wrong, too? I'm crazy. I'm a heretic, right? Like, God didn't make us just for him, in a sense. The way God receives praise and glory is when there is right relationships with each other, God is magnified and glorified in those relationships. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. So I've been trying to answer this question each week, why we're doing this, and uh, they, they, a few weeks ago before Nate. Um, spoke on fear. I did one on hurts. And uh, I look specifically at Jesus. I gave the apologetic of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane that he did not ignore his emotions. We actually walked through Matthew 26 and showed all the different ways and things that Jesus was feeling. He felt all the same things we do as humans. He knew what it meant to be human. And Jesus, in his humanity, experienced these emotions, and he knew what to do with them. Like, when he felt hurt by his disciples, he didn't harbor that hurt and begin to resent them, but he went to them and said, guys, can't you just pray with me? He didn't fly off the handle and scream at his disciples, stop sleeping. He just said, guys, can you pray with me? He knew what to do with his pain of what was coming the next day, his emotions of fear and anxiety, because he went to the Father and he went to 
speak in deep prayer. This week, I want to provide another reason why I think we should be concerned about our emotions. And this comes from an author, um, a pretty famous theologian, whose name is John Kelvin. And on the slide for you, I have a quote for you that says this, Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and ourselves. But as these are connected by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two precedes and gives birth to the other. What is John Kelvin, the great theologian, saying? That in order to know God, you have to know who? Yourselves. And as you get to know who you are, you get to know God more. And as you get to know God more, you get to know who we are. There is this relationship between the two that as we study God and we begin to experience God and know God, all of that begins to actually transform the way we understand ourselves. And when we begin to understand who we are more deeply and how we are wired and how we are made in His image, we get this understanding of God. And when we say true knowledge of God, I want us to be very clear on this, that this understanding of true knowledge is not mere intellectual assent, that you have actually dumb, sorry, plummeted the depths of the Trinity and can explain it. We're talking about true knowledge of you have this head understanding of who this triune God is, and you can actually have true knowledge of the experience of that true God. We can know feel and experience God. So why look at emotions? Because emotions are central to humanity. It is how the voice actually speaks. You want to know what your heart is saying? Listen to what you're feeling. And as we are able to understand what we're feeling and what our heart is saying, we get to know who we are. We're going to be able to run to God and experientially know God. And this week I want to communicate that to you in a third emotion, an emotion called loneliness. And I think this is a very apropos emotion to look at this morning because, I I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but I just feel like even in my own soul, my own heart, this pandemic this last year has created a feeling of a lot of loneliness. Have any of you in the last year felt lonely? And I don't think it's just because of the pandemic. I think loneliness affects us apart from massive worldwide health crises. But in this last year particularly, I think we have felt lonely. We've been, on the next slide, we've been created to live fully in relationship with ourselves, others, and God. And when we are not experiencing intimacy in one of these three relationships, we feel lonely. God gave us loneliness so we would seek out relationship. Loneliness is a feeling that speaks to our deep hunger to belong and to be known. Like loneliness, when you can experience it and feel it and identify it and actually admit it, it's, it's a good thing because it's, it's calling us that we want to be known. We want relationship, but we're often embarrassed or ashamed. We feel like there's something wrong with us when we're not 
experiencing intimacy, but we're actually experiencing loneliness. When was the last time you told yourself, I am lonely? Like sat in that, like just said, I'm lonely. When was the last time you told anyone else in your life that you feel lonely? So loneliness is a gift that speaks to how much is right with us. Like, the right with us is like, we want relationship. We want relationship with God, with others, and right relationship with ourselves. But it also points to how much has gone wrong in the world and with ourselves. What we're longing for is intimacy. Okay? And we're going to define intimacy this way. Into me see. Did you catch that? Intimacy is into me see. When you look into me, what do you see? Will I allow you to see all of that that is in me? And intimacy is the ability to share what is inside of you, all of that is inside of you with others. So we long for this. We long to be known. We long for people who will actually know us and not run away from us when they find out who we really are. So loneliness is something we all experience. And I think if we'll sit in it and admit it and recognize it, it's actually a beautiful thing because it cries out for our need for intimacy. Now, let's just say one thing. Loneliness itself is not a sin. Okay, loneliness, feeling lonely, in itself is not a sin. In fact, if you look in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis 2, 18, the Bible says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So, I find this really interesting. After... God declares he's going to find a helper for Adam. What's the next part of the Genesis 2? You may not know this. It's all the animals come to Adam. And Adam begins to name all of the animals. So verse 19, the Lord God formed all the wild animals, the birds. He brought them to the man to see what he called them. And the man chose a name for each one. Can you imagine that? Just like sitting on a rock, cow, donkey, squirrel. Like, how long did that take? You know, like... And so he went through this whole list, litany of animals. And he gets all done, and what does is, what is Adam declare? Well, those are pretty cool creatures. But none of them are for me. I am still what? Alone. There's all of this wild, wild creatures, and all this amazing beauty all around me, and Adam still declares, I am alone. See, in the beginning, if you catch this, the Garden of Eden, the sin hasn't even happened yet in the Garden. Which points to this fact that, that God knew that it was not good for Adam to be alone. So loneliness in itself is not a sin. And so what does God do? He, he causes the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he slept, God stole one of his ribs, if you will closed it up, formed a woman, brought her to the man. And what does Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 say? I love, I love the, uh, the NIV. There's like this, at last, finally, 
There's someone suitable for me. Finally, I am not alone anymore. She is like me. She's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And she's been taken out of me, so she'll be called woman. So what we find in the Garden of Eden is that we were made to relate, to be in relationship to such an extent that God said it wasn't good for us to be alone. We were made for God, yes. But God made us to be in relationship with other humans. Look in this next slide in 1 John chapter 1. Uh, John, in the beginning of his letter, says this, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. And this is all about Jesus. So that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. What is John saying there? Come have fellowship with us. Don't depart. Don't leave. If you know anything about 1 John, uh, later on he says, they left, they went out from us because they were never part of us. If they were part of us, they would have remained. Because they left, it proves that they were never truly part of the church. And John is inviting these people to stay in fellowship with them. Why? Because their fellowship is with who? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which John is saying, when you fellowship with us, you're fellowshipping with who? God. There is this relationality between fellowshipping with God and fellowshipping with humans. The same thing in the, in the great two commandments. So the first great commandment is what? Love God, and the second commandment is... Love your neighbor. And I think most commentators, and I think they're right on this, say it's really one singular commandment. The way you love God is how you love your neighbor. The way you relate with God is how you relate to others, because how you relate is how you relate. You can't say you relate to humans one way and say you relate to God a different way. No, the degree to which you relate to God would be the way you relate to other people. But to live in this sin-cursed world means that intimacy and joy are not always the norm, are they? Oftentimes, they become the exception. I was talking to a psychologist. She left a few years ago. She had got her doctorate at a, a regent. I don't know if any of you remember Carissa. And uh, she moved to L.A. and she's teaching, I think, at Biola right now. Or I think she was out there teaching. But we were talking um, just about all of these mental health problems and like why all of these issues have sprung up so much in the last hundred years in our country. And we talked through a lot of different things and I just, trust me, this isn't the only thing, just caveat, there's a hundred caveats I don't want to give you right now. But she said, one of the things that is interesting that she said in her studies that we, that she said to me, I still can't ever get it out of my mind, is she said that the fracture in the relationships in the West has produced a lot of these issues. That's what she said. And I was like, that makes so much sense. It's not the only thing. There's a million other reasons why. But the fracture of, the, of real, true relationship. We're so busy doing a million things that we neglect the primary thing because we're afraid of intimacy. We're afraid of someone looking into us. And this is what happens in the rebellion. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sin, what do they do? They hide. Why? Why do they hide? 
They're ashamed. Yes, we'll get there. You're jumping ahead of the story. Well, my story, or the way I'm telling the story. Okay? They hide because they're afraid, right? Then what do they do? They cover. They cover themselves because they know they're guilty. Then they feel the shame, and so they blame others. So they, they hide, they cover, and they blame, and that's what we do. We don't want anyone to know us in the depths of who we are, and so we hide. Out of fear that someone would actually know us, we cover. We try to make this, this presentation of who we are because we know we're guilty, and we don't want to really show who we are. And then we blame. Because, fun, because loneliness is so fundamental who we are as humans, we feel it. It can be disturbing, it can be bothersome, it can even become intolerable. So to cover up our loneliness, what do we do? We keep busy, we stay amused, we stay distracted, or we even give up trying. In a world that screams negativity about dependency, and in a world that glorifies self-sufficiency, loneliness is the feeling I think we work hardest to avoid. The irony is that the more we avoid it, based on our culture telling us that we are dependent and self-sufficient beings, the irony is that the more we work to avoid it, the more it happens, and the more we work to hide it, the more we miss out on life that is truly life. Loneliness points to how often we distance ourselves from three types of loneliness. I know this is going to sound weird, but there's lonely for you, self, there's loneliness for others, and there's a loneliness for God. We experience loneliness in these three ways. Number one, we're lonely for self. What we need in this reality is sometimes, do you ever just feel like you just need to get away? And not in, let's, let's make a clear distinction here. We're, we're talking about solitude, getting away in solitude versus getting away in isolation. We need solitude. We need time to just hear from our hearts. So many times we get going, 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 and I don't know, like you, it's like the, the flywheel. It's like slowly cranking. Next thing you know, you're just going crazy. And you can't stop the flywheel, and you're just like, I need time alone. Even the greatest extrovert needs time to just listen to their hearts. I mean, you just read the Psalms, and what are the Psalms doing over and over again? They're just pouring out the heart of the writer, right? Sometimes, I, maybe I would encourage you, if God's leading you to do this, maybe you should be writing your own psalms. Writing what is going on in your hearts. And so we need solitude to listen to ourselves, to hear from ourselves. And so when we're in solitude, it's interesting, when you're in solitude, you're still in conversation, aren't you? Solitude is in a relationship, in a conversation with God and about us and about others. And I don't know about you, but solitude, when I, when back a couple years ago before COVID took place and I was in a better space with my time management, I would take one day a month away and just drive up to Richmond's and not see anyone. 
And can I just tell you, some of those days were the hardest days of my life. Like, I, I couldn't talk to anyone. And so I just wanted to, like, get on my phone and watch a movie in the coffee shop. Because I didn't want to listen to myself. I didn't want to hear what was going on in my heart. And so I made myself get a journal. And, like, if you know me, this is like, you did that? I did that. I would, like, have four categories that I would just work through each, go to a different space and go here and work through this category. And it was like who I am and where I'm at, where my kids are at. And I would just begin journaling. And it began to show me, I didn't have categories for then, back then, but it just shows me how lonely I really was. Even though I had millions of people around me, I was lonely. I didn't have that person I always had who was like the intimacy, like who knew me, and I knew them. And of course, I had that at varying levels, but to have that ripped away from you, I was so lonely, I didn't even know it. So we need solitude, not isolation, to actually hear what is going on in our hearts. So there's a lonely for self, but then there's a loneliness for others. As we have said, we were made to be with other people. We're made to be in a relationship. We're known, made to be known and loved. But in that loneliness for others, there's a limit of how long you can stand being around others without being known. You ever been to a birthday party of people you've never met before? And you walk into the... This happened to me just recently. You know, and I walk up into their back room and there's this big circle... And I just walk up right into the room, and there's like 15 people I've never even seen in my life. So what do I do? I'm like, hey guys, I'm the new guy who you don't know. Nice to meet y'all. And I then moved to the back of the room and thought, I need to go find people that I know. You ever been there? Because that's what we're made for. We need, we can be around these other people at a dinner party or an activity or events. But most of the time we're in our hearts saying what? Can I just get back and put my elbows on the table with the people that know me? Because there's this loneliness to be with people. When we're with these people who accept us for who we are, with all of our faults, all of our sin that we commit against them and against God, and all of this is taking place, when we're with those people, do you not find replenishment and joy? Like, just answer that. Like, how do you get replenished to go serve Jesus? And this is the answer throughout the Bible. Meet with God's people. In that genuine relationship of intimacy, there is replenishment for mission. But then there's also a loneliness for God. The heart voices a kind of loneliness that can never be completely filled. It can never be completely answered or quieted as long as we live. There's that inner voice inside of us saying there is always something more that we're longing for, that we need more. And this loneliness that we experience that obviously is for God awakens us to our emotional and spiritual needing and longing to be with this God. Have you ever been overtaken by a majestic sight? I don't know how this is going to show up on the screen. And you know when you take a picture of something majestic and beautiful, it never comes through. Okay? But this is one of my favorite places in the world. It's the Garden of Eden. 
called the Adirondack Mountains. This is up on top of a mountain, and there's like seven lakes all connected to each other. And when you're up there, you're just overtaken with the majesty of creation. And you probably all have seen spaces or places in your life where this majestic sight has overtaken you. And you're struck at the beauty. You're struck at the wonder. But it also makes you not only sense the wonder and the majesty of God, but it also makes you feel very incomplete. In your aching, your heart recognizes the one who was made, it was made for. So like when you see this sight, that, that same wonder and awe leads to this feeling that I don't have all of this and I want more and more and more of it. The loneliness for more goodness, the loneliness for more fullness of the Spirit of God in us comes and we want more and more and more. In our hearts, we want to go to where the wonder, the celebration, the passion, the relational fulfillment never stop. We want to go to the source of this goodness and we want to go to God. There's loneliness for yourself, for others, and for God. And I want to say that when you are lonely for God, and you meet God, and He meets you, and He fills you. It gives you the courage to go and be honest with others and yourself. See, on the next slide, we have a little chart that <clears throat> we're going to keep building out for you. But I want us to start thinking of our emotions in these categories. That in, there's a gift to the emotions that reveals a deep need that we have as humans. But there's also like an impairment emotion that leads to sin, to, to evil. See, the gift of loneliness is intimacy. What I mean by that is these emotions God gave us are a gift to see that we need something. We need to be known. And when we experience the loneliness and we admit the loneliness, it actually is revealing something to us. We need intimacy. But you have the courage to walk in the spirituality of your loneliness, to be awakened, to be known by God, by others, and to be known by yourself. So what keeps us from experiencing true intimacy? What keeps us from feeling close to others? Number one, I want to say it this way. We maintain acquaintances in order to feel close. We have surface relationships to scratch the itch of our loneliness. These relationships are our way of avoiding the pain of hope and the fear of dependence, which are the foundations of intimacy. Let me repeat that. We want to avoid the pain of hope. How many of you think hoping is filled with pain? It is. You know why? Because you've hoped for a lot of things that never come to pass. So to hope for something again is very painful, isn't it? And we don't want to have that burden of hope like this idea that I long for something and I can't wait for that because we've had all this baggage in the past. And we're afraid of being dependent upon others. It's just, if we're honest, we don't want anyone to serve us. And the foundation of intimacy is the ability to say, I am a dependent creature, and I have hope for something out in the future. Because otherwise, you're going to continue to be guarding yourself. 
And we do this with our acquaintances. We keep them at a distance so we don't need to be dependent on them. We do this with acquaintances so if we put all of our hope on them, they can't break it. Let me ask you a question, and this won't be answered in 10 seconds. Do you have genuine, fulfilling, godly relationships where there is intimacy? Or do you just have a bunch of people that hang out with to fulfill your need of that, but not really ever experiencing real relationship? Some of us maintain acquaintances in order to feel close, keeps us from intimacy. Others maintain routines in order to, have, to make sure our hearts are not exposed or open to others. In these routines, intimacy appears to exist because no one dares to address their hearts openly. And, and I would just speak to this, that even in our, my relationship with Shelly when we were married, there were seasons of this that we just did routines. There was just like boo, 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 boo. But there was no intimacy happening. There was no like sharing and... It, it would eventually that dam would break. Does that make sense? And rather than just be honest and intimate with each other, we just kept going through the routines because we didn't really want to share what was in our hearts. So do you just keep routines? Do you just keep acquaintances? Because that will keep you away from experiencing intimacy and your need as humans to be known. Let's go to the other side of the chart. The impairment of loneliness is apathy. Many of us have mentioned this come from places where living from our hearts is dangerous. So painful to live from our hearts, it requires that we actually reject our heart's need. Like our heart's need is to be known by God. So we can be known by others, we can know ourselves, and, and we used to live that way, but we don't anymore because relational, relational wounds have left us in this deep conflict. Deeply ashamed of our hunger for intimacy, which is indicated by we're lonely people. And, and all that while we're rejecting that, we have this deep craving for relationship with others. And those of you who missed intimacy in your growing up days, some of the most painful things you can actually do is open yourself up to real relationships. We disregard, we minimize we defeat our hunger for intimacy, our wish to be loved and be loved and know and to be known. And when we begin to live that way, it breeds within us an attitude of apathy. You ever heard like the opposite of love is not hate? The opposite of love is indifference, isn't it? The opposite of love is indifference. It's actually apathy. Apathy is a defiant act to deny the existence of the heart. It is you actively denying what your heart needs. And the only way you can cover up that deep need is just pretend and tell yourself nothing else matters. Nothing matters. And those of us who are not willing to admit that we're often lonely cover up being apathetic towards people. So your regular routine of life are things like this. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Whatever. There's plenty of fish in the sea. What's the difference? Okay, that's fine. Are those words that are regularly coming out of your mouth? They may be revealing a sense of apathy. And apathy is the only defense against the acknowledgement of our true dependency and the recognition of the hope for intimacy. 
And I want you to know that when that apathy comes into you, it leads to what we're going to call evil. Do you know why most people are like drinking and looking at pornography and committing adultery and committing all of these evil acts? It's because they're rejecting their heart because of they're so lonely that they now just live in apathy and they'll do whatever they take to get some sort of high. That is sin. That is when your motion, lonely, is not a, actually a sin in itself, but it leads you to a place of apathy. When you're in apathy, it leads to a place of all of this sinful action. That is destroying your relationship with who? God, others, and yourself. Now remember in the very beginning, I used that John Calvin quote, to know God, we've got to know ourselves, and know ourselves, we need to know God. How does that even work in loneliness? I think I would answer one way that works is this. When we can actually just say to God, to ourselves, to others, we're lonely. Let's just start with God. Let's just say we could actually admit to God, you are lonely. When you admit one of these feelings, it admits that you're in need, right? This is why we hate emotions. We hate to acknowledge that we're lonely, that we're afraid, that we're hurting. It's because in that, in that emotion, in that, in that admission, there's this deep sense that we are saying we are needy people. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, we live in a culture that is so anti-against saying we are needy. We hate being in that Disposition. We hate that emotion of feeling that we're lonely because we're in need. But when you are in an understanding of yourself, this is who I am, I am lonely right now, and you're in deep need, do you know what else you can also know at that point? That there is one who knows more about you than anyone else in the world, and he is never going to leave you. You know the one who does good only all of your days and has never harmed you and will never harm you in the future will always be by your side. As the proverb says, there is a friend who always sticks closer than a brother. In Jesus, you have a friend who loves you like no one else could. Jesus is the only friend who can carry the weight of being everything for you. And how do we know that? Like, theoretically, in our minds, we probably all know that God will never leave us or forsake us, correct? But how do we actually experience that? I want to say this. Until you actually see your need, you will never experience God. You will never know what it means for God to be with you until you can actually say, I need Him. So many times I think, this is probably true just in my life, but maybe fits for you too, but so many times like, man, I just want God to show up. I just want to feel God. I want, to, I want God to, I want this tangible expression, but you know what? I won't actually say I need Him. I won't be in this space to say I'm lonely. And God, I need you. And when you meet God, you tangibly have true knowledge of God. You can't know who God is in His presence until you understand that you are in this deep need. 
And he may, you may have gone all the way down to this evil side. Where you may be looking at pornography, you may be stealing from your boss, you may be you know, out drinking, getting drunk, you may be doing all these things to cover up all that stuff. And I want you to know that you need to actually still admit you're lonely. Because when you go all the way down the left side of the chart, he hasn't left you. That's amazing. We think if we go on the right side of the chart, of course God will show up, doesn't it? Like if I understand my emotion, I admit it, and I run to him, and I seek him, he's there. But I want you to know God is still on the other side of the chart with you. He's with you in your apathy. He's with you in a sense in all of your evil, and he's inviting you to experience your need. This is what repentance is. It's coming out of that and saying, God, I need you. I need you to look into me. I'm going to allow you to look into me. And of course he can look into me. And I don't need to give him permission. But there's also this personal sense, God, this is who I am. Just, I'm giving it all to you. See, there's no true knowledge of God without knowledge of self. And when we can admit we're lonely, and wherever we're at in that stage, in that chart, just cry out. And the God of the universe will meet you. And when you're open and honest before an almighty God and you are intimate with him and you meet him, guess that's what's going to change. Your ability to relate to others. So Father, help us in our loneliness. to be able to maybe even take some time this week and to hear from our hearts where we're at. Spirit, speak to us in this. Help us to see that when we admit that, we're, that we are lonely, that's actually a good space because we're crying out for things that you have made us for, for relationship and being known. And we thank you that by faith in Jesus, all of us this week can turn to you to be known. God, some of us may just be lonely for you this week. May we admit our need and may you fill us with your presence. And God, we want this because we want to actually create a, a, a place that's real family that is a picture of what the new creation will look like, where there will be no one lonely. So strengthen us into that place of being a mature, healthy body where real, genuine relationships take place. I want to just pray two things as we close. God, give us courage to be intimate with other people, and give us grace to not judge people who actually come to us in those ways. But give us love. May this be a safe place to share who we are. In Jesus' name we pray.